Hello and welcome to The Current, a podcast brought to you by EWIC, the Emirates Water and Electricity Company. I am Abdurrahman Omar Bafaraj, Senior Project Manager at EWIC, and I am delighted to welcome you all to today's exciting podcast episode. EWIC is leading the planning, purchasing, supply, and dispatch of water and power across the UAE with the mission of increasing the proportion of clean energy in the UAE while reducing carbon emissions. Rounding off a significant year for EWIC, today's episode will discuss some of our biggest achievements from 2023. Joining me to help discuss all this and more are returning guest speakers, Mark Hedges, Asset Management Executive Director, and Bruce Smith, Strategy and Planning Executive Director. Thank you for joining us today, gentlemen. It's good to be here. Thank you. I know you have both been in this podcast before, but perhaps you could quickly tell our new listeners about your roles and responsibilities at EWIC. Mark, if we can start with you. Sure. Actually, I I think we should start with Bruce because the the planning and strategy department is is, is kind of the the starting point for how we uh, approach things in EWIC. Thank you, Mark. Okay, so the strategy and planning team is responsible in the first instance for determining and setting the strategy that the business follows. Then the planning that follows on from that is how do we actually implement that strategy. Um, So we start off with the demand forecasting process. The demand forecast led by George, George Fanciotis, develops the foundations upon which we plan the capacity both water and power that's required in order to enable to us to achieve our mandate of security supply, lease cost, and of course, hitting the government's clean energy targets, 60% clean by 2035. And that in a nutshell is really what the planning team is all about. It's about how do we actually do this and what do we need to build in order to hit those targets. So once we see those plans, so we don't have Andy Biffin here from our development team, but uh, those those plans get turned into real projects. And when we say real projects, we mean roughly a billion dollars per project that is uh, that turns those capacity requirements for power and water into projects that eventually get handed over to asset management, which is my team's responsibility. And we uh, turn, uh, take those construction projects and, f- and oversee them through the whole construction phase and then through the lifetime of those projects. So uh, actually the delivery of that power and water to the, the end users in the, in the UAE. Thank you both. Given that we have a lot to unpack in today's episode, let's get right into it. 2023 was a busy year for EWIC with some standout moments. As with previous years, our goal has been to support the UAE in achieving its sustainability and climate ambitions. Mark and Bruce, could you summarize 2023 for us? What were our biggest success stories from your point of view? And what were some of the most important lessons we learned? So maybe actually it probably starts a little bit earlier than that. If we go back to 2020, our system was 98% gas, so 98% carbon generated fuel. And during the course of the next few years, uh, sustainability was added to EWEC's agenda and the strategy and planning team started to look at what was required to be built out to achieve those sustainability goals, as well as reducing the cost for the, for the end consumer. And what that's turned into is a new construction pipeline that historically 
was a new power station built every one to two years to meet uh, the peak summer demand for electricity. And, and the water came along with that, i.e. we had cogen plants that produced power and also used gas to effectively boil water to provide the water for the, the country's needs. Now, what that had turned into by 2022 was that we had four construction projects running in parallel. Now in 2023, we are up to six construction projects running in parallel. And by 2026, we'll have uh, over 12 construction projects running in parallel. So that ramp up is immense and it's starting now in 2023. And to give you an idea of what that entails, we're essentially, we are building out a lot of solar PV at a rate of about uh, one to one half gigawatts per year for the next 10 years, which is a huge, huge ramp up in solar PV. We are replacing all of that thermal capacity that was being used to boil water with reverse osmosis. So essentially using pumps and membranes to produce the water, which is not only massively lower carbon because it's being fed by our new low carbon electricity from nuclear and from uh, solar PV. Um, but it's also massively reducing the cost as well. So we've got, um, in addition to that, we've got the replacement of some of the gas fleet with newer, more efficient gas to keep us our system secure, particularly during the the overnights when there's uh, limited, sorry, no solar and uh, and, a, and a limit on how much nuclear we can get onto the system. And then, uh, uh, in addition to that, we have to keep this whole system secure. So we're looking at. Uh, other other investments such as batteries to balance the system during this period. So if you think about all of that together, that's why we are getting this this huge ramp up in the number of projects that we are building because we're not just building gas plant anymore. We're building solar, nuclear, reverse osmosis, batteries, and some gas to keep the system secure. And so we've got sort of five times the number of assets going into the ground that actually need to be constructed and then operated and, and, and managed. So that, that's, it's just really 2023 is the, the start of that ramp up in construction that is going to be really significant. It's, it's uh, like an industrial revolution in the power sector going on right now and just starting in that in 2023, and it's going to continue for about the next 10 years. I'm going to just jump in a little bit and add add to Mark's comment about the importance of decoupling water production here as well. I mean, I think RO is a bit of the unsung hero when it comes to decarbonizing the power and water system here in Abu Dhabi. Because if we stuck with our existing thermal cogeneration fleet, we wouldn't be able to efficiently add more solar and more nuclear into the system. And the problem is, if you don't decouple, it means that you have to carry on burning gas in order to produce water. And Mark alluded to it, but you know, just put some numbers on the table. We're looking at over 25 kilowatt hours per cubic meter of energy to produce a unit, a cubic meter of water from thermal cogeneration, compared with around three at Tuila. So eight times less, basically. Three kilowatt hours per cubic meter at Tuila is was a world record when it was announced. And the carbon intensity of a cubic meter of water is similarly falling from a peak of around 15 kilograms per cubic meter to about, well, it'll be less than one kilogram per cubic meter by the time we get to 2035, less than two by the time we get to 2030. 
And in 2030, we will be producing around 90% of our water from, from RO. And that's absolutely essential to enable us to add this PV that Mark was speaking about and any more nuclear that might, might get added to the system in future. Just to put that in perspective for our, for our listeners, you, you mentioned that we were going to get to 90% RO water by 2030. Let, let's just think about that. Remember, no rivers in the UAE. All of our water comes from desalination. And we only a couple of years ago, we were basically 100% of that water was produced through boiling water, through from gas effectively. And right now with the projects that we've already uh, delivered during part of that during the course of 2023, we were over 25% of our water can be produced from reverse osmosis, so from pumps and membranes. And what we're saying is that by 2030, so within the next seven years, we will have replaced the entire infrastructure for water production with the you know, low carbon, lower energy, lower cost, reverse osmosis processes. And that's, that's, that is not a small undertaking. That's replacing the entire country's infrastructure for generating water in less than 10 years. On the power side, the change has been significant, but perhaps not quite as uh, dramatic as the decline on water. Do you think back to 2019, 2020, when we had a fully gas-based system, we were running with a carbon intensity of around 330 grams per kilowatt hour. We're currently down to 220, 220 uh, grams per kilowatt hour. That's following the introduction of the third nuclear reactor and two solar plants. And we expect that to fall to in the region of 150 once we uh, achieve 60% clean energy in 2035. So there's a very progressive, steady decline that will be more than a 50% reduction from our 330 grams level back in, in 2019. And it's, it's, it's worth uh, putting that into perspective on a sort of a, a global scale a little bit as well. And uh, you know, a lot of countries, their, their uh, main source of fuel for generation is dependent on what resources there are in that country historically. So if you happen to be in, uh, I don't know, the Scandinavian region, they have a lot of mountains, a lot of water, they have a lot of hydro, okay? And that that was the core input fuel, if you like, driving electricity production in those regions. So they, they historically have got a very, very low carbon intensity for their water. In this region, natural gas was, was plentiful because of the oil and gas production that is very prevalent in this region and is used around the world to drive everyone's planes and automobiles and everything else and so a lot of our generation was was gas-based which which made sense now we're trying to transition away from that but we were already starting from quite a low base because a lot of parts of the world they dug up coal and burnt coal for their generation and there and the carbon intensity of coal was roughly double that of gas so maybe more, 600. more 800 i mean you look at india yeah. it's got 200 gigawatts of coal and they've got an average system intensity of well over 600 at the moment so whilst they're trying to decarbonize quite rapidly by adding renewables they've still got that 200 gigawatts of coal capacity to provide that cheap base load capacity so the uae in terms of historically where you know, compared to countries where coal generation was prevalent for its electricity production it was already pretty clean with with uh, you know 100 gas-based generation back in 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 2019 and very very rapidly in a very short number of years you know it's only uh, only over a period of about four years we've gone from 100 percent gas at around the 300 level to uh 
uh, now uh, uh, yeah, going to be 60% low carbon by 2035 at 150 grams per kilowatt hour. And 40% today. Yeah, 40% today. So that, that is a huge transition. And actually, I, I think that rate of change over the last few years is, is unsurpassed anywhere else in, in the world. Um, maybe we had a bit of a head start because we started the nuclear program. When did we start that, Bruce? 2008 <laughs> but actually when it started construction was around uh 2012 i think something around around there when nuclear started construction so we're seeing the uh, uh the, the the fruits of our labor in these last few years as the reactors have come online one a year but uh but really the the transition we're going through right now in a very short space of time is actually decarbonizing this system very, very rapidly at a rate that really is unprecedented anywhere else in the world that I've seen in, uh, in, in the last uh, decade or so. Bruce, uh, you mentioned in 2016 we started the first RO in the Gulf, and from that point we have M2, we have Tawil RO, we have S4, now we have also Abu Dhabi Islands RO, all located in the Gulf region. And we also forecasted that our water production will be emissions free by 2035. Does this mean that we are the first one in the region? I'll just pick a little, a bit of an issue with you when you say emissions free. We're close to emissions free and we will have reduced from a peak of around 15 kilograms per cubic meter to about 0.8 kilograms per cubic meter. So very low carbon. Yeah, I'm very happy with zero carbon. Not quite there yet. And, and let's face it, where, wherever you are in the, the world, it takes energy to get water treated and get it to an end consumer. In, in this part of the world, you know, that energy is, uh, is significantly more because you have to carry out a desalination process before you can then treat the water and get it ready for uh, uh, public consumption. And uh, but it's the water then still needs to be pumped to the end user. So that's one advantage we do have here with those those projects you mentioned are very, very large reverse osmosis projects along the, the coast of the, the UAE, uh, all, all of them on in inside of the, the, the Gulf area. And uh, what they are doing is more and more we are citing these projects near to where the actual demand is because reverse osmosis projects are uh, a, a lot less uh, uh, intrusive on the, the visual environment than a very large power station. And so we're able to put those plants very close to demand, which reduces the pumping costs for pumping that water to where it's actually needed to be used. So that, that's an advantage with the, uh, the reverse osmosis versus you know, if you think about other countries where water's collected in big reservoirs and then, and then it has to then be pumped out to consumers from wherever it's, it's collected. You know, there's, there's pros and cons to, to producing uh, uh, energy and producing water in every region you are in the world. Obviously the pros that we have here are around the fact that we can locate it near to the consumer, but also our, and this is common with every grid system, the carbon intensity of that water is going to be reliant on the overall carbon intensity of the electricity input into producing it. 
And obviously in the UAE with our nuclear program and our PV program, and also latterly uh, wind we're looking at as well. And um, all of that goes to drive down the carbon intensity of the overall grid. And that is decarbonizing the whole economy and every process that uses electricity as its uh, input uh, energy source. Yeah, well said, a great year indeed for EWIC in, in, in both solar and, and water projects. You have mentioned uh, the wind program. Yes, this is also the year that EWIC began procuring power from the UAE first wind energy program. What are the benefits of adding the, the, the wind to our network? That's a really interesting question because on the face of it, wind at nearly three times the cost per unit of energy produced compared with solar. So why are we adding it to the system? It's more expensive. But wind blows at night. It doesn't just blow during when the sun's shining. So it adds an advantage in terms of diversifying the sources of clean energy that can be produced, you know, not just during daylight hours. So it means that in the longer term, we won't need to put so much in the way of battery storage or energy storage into the system. It basically replaces storage rather than solar. Solar remains the cheapest energy by far, and we'll put as much of that as we possibly can. But what we do need to do is try and reduce the cost of producing energy back to the grid when the sun's not available. And that's where wind comes in. Bruce, you have mentioned that we need wind at night where there is no solar. Another technology that we are investigating is, is the BIS or the Battery Energy Storage System, where EWIC has recently issued the RFP for a 400 megawatt hour. Can you tell us more about this and why we are looking into battery? Yeah, that's another good question. I mean, it's important to realize that that 400 megawatts is only for one hour. And when we say one hour, what we're going to be using those batteries for is for reserves. That means we're using the batteries to stabilize the frequency of the power within our system. And as we get small variations in the frequency, the battery will automatically step in to, to smooth that out. It's not there or this project is not there to provide arbitrage. In other words, it's not there to be filled up with energy during the day and then discharged at night. That will be the longer duration batteries that we are expecting to install um, in the early 2030s. But of course, that's dependent on the price. We've seen a, a, a quite a dramatic fall in the price in the second half of 2023, where we saw declines in the region of 30%. Um, a lot of new battery capacity has come online in China. And we are exploring or hope to be exploring as, a, as, a, as an output from the current tendering process for the 400 megawatts times one hour, what the price would look like for four hours. That will give us better insight into how quickly we can go to market and start to replace nighttime generation using gas with energy produced using solar, but return to the grid from a best system, a battery energy storage system. And let me just turn that into something very practical for our, our listeners. So remember where we started this conversation. We said that only back in 2020, the system was 98% uh, uh, gas generation. So that what that means is we had gas turbines around the country that were providing all of the electricity, um, gas turbines and steam turbines, so combined cycle plants. So they're, they're using the hot flue gases to drive uh, a boiler that generates steam and then runs a steam turbine as well. But those systems, they're big, 
are connected to big rotating masses, i.e. The, the generators that are keeping the system stable, and they are able to fluctuate to uh, help us to meet fluctuations in demand from the end consumers using electricity. Now, what we are more and more doing now with the decarbonisation programme, with our sustainability agenda, is replacing that during the day with solar PV, with some wind generation, with a lot of nuclear generation from the UAE nuclear programme. And what that naturally means is that you have far less gas turbines running at any given time. And it's the gas turbines that were providing the response to the fluctuations in demand every day. So if we have less gas turbines, we've got less capability to cope with fluctuations in demand. And in order to replace that uh, inherent uh, responsiveness of the fleet, we're putting in batteries which can operate super quickly. Yeah, we're talking about response in, in sub-second sub response from the batteries to help uh, manage those those fluctuations in demand. And that's why we're putting batteries in to manage the fact that we are taking gas turbines off the system as quickly as we can. And in certain periods in the winter, we're getting to the point where we are, are seeing really high levels of low carbon generation and fewer and fewer and fewer gas turbines actually running to balance the system. So that, that's what it means in a, in a very practical sense, what we're, what we're doing every day from the systems op, system operations point of view. And perhaps the natural extension of that is how do we operate the system for that first hour when there will be no gas, uh, gas being burned? So the zero hour target could happen as soon as 2028. We're, we're currently forecasting that the lowest hour of uh, demand in, in, in 20, winter 2028, we could be seeing 98% clean, uh, clean energy production. And that will require us to have developed the systems, the processes and the procedures with the, obviously the people able to run the system and having com comfort that they can run the system securely at those very high penetrations of, of clean energy. And that's what Project GET, which is uh, running at the moment, is all about enabling. And that stands for grid energy transformation, which is what it is all about. And that is uh, that is the trick, right? A lot of uh, countries around the world have decarbonized to a good extent, and and they do that very rapidly with the the cheaper renewables that are available nowadays, up to a point, and then suddenly they hit a restriction because they struggle to get above a certain sort of penetration of renewables into a, into the market while maintaining security supply. And remember, electricity is absolutely core to industry, to the economy, to everyone's life day to day. And we expect it and rely on it to be available 24 seven, every second of the day, completely balanced all of the time. And there is not really any other commodity that has the same sort of reliability apart from the internet, which is powered by electricity anyway, right? So no other commodity that you buy is provided to you at that level of reliability. Uh, this feels like a good segue into our next segment, focusing on our 2024 outlook and beyond. Uh, as you mentioned, Bruce, that we are targeting 100% or full demand from renewables by 2028. In February 2023, we achieved 80% of the total demand to meet through solar and nuclear. So 
how are we forecasting the future to enable us to reach that goal in 2028? Yeah, I mean, George leads the demand forecasting team and we spend a lot of time building the models to help us project what the forecast could be in the future. And one of the challenges we face as forecasters is that we're invariably wrong. What we're trying to do is to provide an envelope of uncertainty, if you like, within which the real answer is likely to lie. Even, even with the base case at the moment, we're looking at close to 5% per year underlying growth. Um, and as I said, that could go up significantly. And on top of that, the grid has been expected to electrify energy consumption that today is served by fossil fuels directly, petro uh, transport, cement production, for example. All of those has, have significant demands that could, in the longer term, be electrified. And that will mean that the grid needs to serve a larger proportion of the underlying electricity value chain, energy value chain. And maybe just pick you up on one of the, the, the points you said by 2028, zero carbon. That's It's potentially that we can hit that at some hours of the day. Uh, and that actually, we're getting close to that in the winter right now, which is why you flagged the 80% uh, renewable low and low carbon energy that we hit in February this year. So, so let, let, me, let me just maybe uh, put some color on that for people and, and, and uh, put it into perspective. So um, this, this summer, our, our peak uh, demand in, in, uh, in Abu Dhabi and the Northern Emirates was about 18 gigawatts. In, in the winter, the peak is, is, is less than 10. So it's significantly higher um, uh, energy consumption in the summer than in the winter. And we all know why that is. It's driven by AC demand in the, in the country where we have a, a, you know, massively a summer peaking market here with the, with the AC demand. So in the winter, we don't need as much generation. And we have a huge baseload now of nuclear, which by uh, uh, Q1, Q2 will be up to five gigawatts. So half of our winter peak generation can be provided by nuclear. And by 2028, we would have uh, an, enough solar to actually be able to run the system in the winter with just nuclear and solar. That brings us to the end of our discussion with Mark and Bruce. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time to be on our show. We look forward to having you back again soon and wish you the best of luck for the year ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. Just before we end... I would like to update our listeners on a few AWIC milestones from Q4 2023. At the beginning of the quarter in October 2023, AWIC signed a power purchase agreement with Mazdar for power generated from the UAE's first utility-scale wind program, located at Sile', Serbanias Island, and Delma Island. The wind power farms have a generation capacity up to 99 megawatt of renewable carbon-free electricity. Also in October, EWIC signed an MOU with the UAE Pro League to decarbonize their electricity consumption through the adoption of clean energy certificates. Issued by the Abu Dhabi Department of Energy, clean energy certificates empower businesses in Abu Dhabi to verify their clean energy consumption claims and reduce their carbon footprint. In November 2023, EWIC integrated the 1.5 gigawatt AC Adhafra Solar PV project, which will power nearly 200,000 homes and eliminate over 2.4 million tons of carbon emissions annually. 
Avafra uses almost 4 million solar panels, which deploy innovative bifacial technology, ensuring sunlight is captured on both sides of the panels to maximize yield. November also saw EWIC launch its quarter 4 2023 auction for clean energy certificates. Across the year, EWIC has seen the largest number of auction participants to date, demonstrating a collective dedication to sustainability within Abu Dhabi and the UAE. In December, we announced the successful financial closing of the Shuei Hat for Reverse Osmosis Seawater Desalination Project. The project is our second utility-scale reverse osmosis plant to reach financial close in 2023. Also in December, we signed an MOU with Energy Exemplar to jointly explore opportunities to expand our advanced modeling capacity and bring Energy Exemplar's state-of-the-art cloud-based platform modeling to the Middle East for the first time. Before we sign off, I want to extend a huge thank you to all our listeners for joining us. Your support has been invaluable and we look forward to bringing you more insights and fresh perspectives throughout the year. To keep up with our news and insights, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast through your preferred platform. You have been listening to the current podcast brought to you by EWIC. I am Abdurrahman Umar Bafaraj and it has been a pleasure. Assalamu alaikum.